So I've got this uh, priest, priest friend of mine who uh, he received this letter in the mail um, years ago now. Um, it's kind of a wild letter. Uh, I want to read it to you. Dear Father Tom, I was cleaning out my desk drawer and I came across a church bulletin from St. Patrick's. I've never been there before and I'm not even sure how I got it. But I saw your name on the bulletin and I knew I was being directed to write to you. I wanted to tell you about an inspiring and even life-changing sermon that you gave on Easter Sunday, 2003. Before I tell you about the sermon, I'd like to back it up a few days. It was April 7th, the last snow of 2003. I was locked in a windowless five-foot-by-five-foot five bathroom. I had a half-gallon bottle of vodka with me. I figured if I guzzled it down fast enough, that would be the end of it. About every third gulp, I took a swallow of Listerine so my daughters wouldn't know how I had died. Anyway, about two-thirds of the way through my plan, I was interrupted by the scratching and barking of my golden retriever. I yelled at her to stop and go away. She wouldn't. In fact, she got louder. I was afraid all the commotion would interrupt my plan, so I opened the door and I let her in. Right then, the telephone rang, and I instinctively picked it up. On the, other end, on the other end, my friend answered and told me to stop what I was doing. He was coming over to take me to an AA meeting. I poured out the rest of the bottle, and I just scratched my head in disbelief. If you were to tell me that that would be my last drink, I would have said that you were crazy. I needed at least a quart a day just to keep steady. So my friend takes me to this meeting and I'm ranting and raving about this whole higher power God thing. And this old timer in the meeting, in the meeting tells me to shut up and sit down and give him my phone number. He calls me the next day and he says he's gonna pick me up and take me to an early meeting on Saturday but I was gonna show him. I figured I wouldn't drink and that would send him away. Well, I got through Tuesday. Wednesday was extremely tough. By Thursday, I was crawling out of my skin. Friday started out a nightmare. I was shaking so bad I couldn't hold a cup of coffee. But then something happened. The foreman at work said that they were having a labor rally downtown and everybody had to go. I knew I just needed a couple of drinks to stop shaking. There were about 25,000 construction workers down there. I figured nobody'd miss me. As I came up out of the subway, I bumped into that old guy I met at the meeting. He didn't see me, but I followed him to the rally. Anyway, after 20 minutes, I figured it was just a coincidence and I could go and have my drink as I worked my way through the crowd and finally, finally broke free of everybody, somebody grabbed my arm. It was my wife's cousin. He'd been sober for 15 years. He asked me how I, how I was. I said, fine. He said he didn't think so. 
He then asked me where I was going. I told him home. And he said, that's not the way. Let me show you the way home. Anyway, 12 days later, I'm sitting on my hands in church. I'm a mess at this point, but I haven't had a drink. And I begin to listen to the strangest sermon that I've ever heard. It was Easter Sunday of all days. And now he starts to talk in this letter to this priest very specifically. He said, you told me in the homily, you told me how Peter and another apostle had to run to the tomb on Easter. You said Peter went in first and noticed that the, the dressing, the headdressing was lying off to the side. You keyed in on that one simple thing. You said that's what God does. He diverts our attention from where we want to go to where we need to go. And then you said, that's how he got me into AA. And I didn't hear the rest. I was so overwhelmed by your words. I'm glad my wife was there. I needed somebody to tell me what I heard wasn't a hallucination. That started my nine years of sobriety. They've been the best years of my life, and I thought you'd like to know that. And he signs it. He says, P.S., if you think this story will help anyone, feel free to use it. It's all true. I have a wild letter, right? You know, uh, Father Tom, the guy who gave the homily, received the letter, he's not an AA. He's never been an AA. He didn't say he was an AA during that Mass. That's what this guy swears he heard, but he never said it. You know, consider these sort of facts for a minute. Facts that I think at best are pretty hard to explain. This guy is in this totally desperate moment, despairing. He's given up. And out of nowhere, this phone rings. Stop what you're doing, I'm coming over. His friend. Then the old guy at the meeting, bumping into this guy on the subway. I mean, what's the chances of that in New York City? The guy at the rally, his wife's cousin, a crowd of thousands. This guy bumps into him, and he takes him home. The dog, <laughs> let's give the dog credit, scratching at the bathroom door. And then this Easter Sunday homily. Interesting, like, he, he heard the priest say that he was, that's what got him into AA. He never said it. His wife confirmed that he said it. He never said it. Thing. Like he writes this letter, this guy, to the priest to kind of thank the priest, I guess, as if like the priest was the, uh, the main event or the, the miracle within the story. I think he was a part of it, but he certainly wasn't all of it. You know who also deserved the letter? The friend who called him out of the blue and said, I'm coming over. 
Or his wife's cousin who said, no, that's not how you get home. I'll take you home. How about the golden retriever? God, it's like there's so many, so many players, so many moving parts, right? And this, the odds of this guy getting up, this priest, and saying whatever he said that seemed to click with this guy, regardless of what he heard. So many players. I think it's what Paul's talking about in this second reading. Brothers and sisters, as a body is one, though it has many parts, they're all connected. They're different. They serve different purposes. But you need them all. When they work together, you get something great. Independent of each other, it's incomplete. You know, if a person has great eyes, but no ears and no feet, no hands, well, they're going to be kind of limited. But if you got all the pieces there, and they're all kind of working, you get something great. I mean, think about it. Have you, you know, who hasn't played on a, a team, some kind of a team, whether you were a kid, maybe even now if you're an adult? Whatever the sport. about the, the, the year, the particular team, the particular season when like you guys were just awesome. Everything came together. You played for eight years in a row, but this one year you guys crushed it. It was unlike any of the other years, before or after. Sort of like everything just came together. All these players, all these positions. You got linemen, you got linebackers, you got running backs, you got the quarterback. And they all work together. You take the lineman out of the equation, then the quarterback is not going to be, he's not completing anything. But if you got the right line and you got the guy with the arm, then things happen. It's sort of like this whole team thing, I think, is what Paul was talking about. And maybe you're like, well, you know what? I wasn't really a sports person. I never really played on a team. Fine. This isn't just a sports thing. Maybe it's at work. Some team you were on at work. Maybe it's just your family. It's husband and wife. It's mom and dad working as a team for their players. Maybe it's, you see, you know, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't really like the, the sports kid. I was into drama, the plays, the musicals. Same point. You got the actors, you got the, uh, the, the, the stage crew, you got the people and the, uh, the musicians. Take one of those out, and this thing is just not going to fly. But you got them all working together, you're going to have a hit on your hands. If you got the right director, if that team's got the right coach, I mean, that story I told you, that letter that I read, do you believe that? I mean, I know, it's, I know what the letter's real. I, I mean, that's, I know. I know the priest who gave it to me. I mean, maybe you could say the guy made it up. I mean, I, I kind of doubt it. 
I mean, do you just think that might have been a lot of coincidences that came together? I mean, I think some probably do. And I suspect some of you say, no, I, I, I think God was sort of all over that. <laughs> Somehow, some way, God sent those people into this guy's life when he needed them. It's like these different players on a team. And Jesus is the coach. Jesus is the director. He's the manager. Whatever you want to, analogy you want to use doesn't matter. But if we align ourselves, if we as players align ourselves to him and we bring the gifts he's given us, my gifts complement yours, yours complement this person's, then man, you've got a winning team. And maybe that's what happened in this guy's life. I'm not saying you got, you got to believe that letter was all God-orchestrated. But I think we should be open to that possibility. Maybe that story is simply this. Paul's words playing out. Yeah, when all the moving parts move in the right direction at the right time, under the direction of the right person, that's what happens. People are sent out into the lives of people in need. So I do believe it, but I also doubt. Like, I doubt a lot. I mean, think of the news the last couple of weeks. Like, how many more crazy, awful subway stories are we going to hear where some nut throws a person in front of a train? The Burger King story that I don't know, 19-year-old girl was working there. Guy comes in to rob it, robs it, walks out, and then comes back. The woman out in the West Coast working in the uh, furniture store, working there alone, this guy comes in. Senseless killing? The police officer who was murdered two nights ago? I had a funeral here on uh, two days ago, I guess Friday morning. Yes, it was for a, a 42-year-old mother of two, wife and mother of two. She's 42, she died of cancer. An eight-year-old and a, maybe a three-year-old, it's two little boys. Standing up here and I'm looking out, and I'm kind of like looking at these two little guys thinking, oh my God, like this is just, like God, God, where were you then? You know what, tonight if, if the father of that police officer was sitting in the church and he heard me read that letter and he probably saw a lot of us go, yeah, I think that was like, I think God was all a part of that letter. God sent those people into that, God's, that, that guy's life and saved them. I wonder if that, the father of that cop would be saying, yeah, how about two nights ago? Why didn't God send somebody into the rescue that night? Or the family of that the grieving family and friends of that woman. So yeah, like this. sometimes people do seem to show up. Sometimes the moving parts seem to come together. It's like that winning season when it all came together right. And sometimes it doesn't. Maybe more often than not it doesn't. And I think when it doesn't, oftentimes it's because we're following the lead from the wrong coach the wrong director. But when we align ourselves to him, 
Things are better. But there is mystery. No answers to those questions. I guess we have to live with it. But I also think we got to live with this, these words, this gospel. He stood up to read, was handed a scroll. He unrolled it, and he found these words. God's Spirit has anointed me to bring hope to the poor, liberty to captives, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. Then he sits down, and everybody's looking at him. They can't believe the way he spoke, the authority with which he speaks. And then he says one more thing. By the way, that passage, it's fulfilled in me today. I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the one who will bring hope and freedom and sight and liberty to that guy in that bathroom who was at the end of his rope. And people showed up. Hope and liberty and freedom and sight showed up. And maybe they were the difference for that guy. I think when the players come together, freedom and liberty and hope wins. So it's like, why do we have a church? Why should we be here? Hey, parents, parents of the, you know, first and second grade parents, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you, why are you having your, your kids make their first communion? I'm grateful you are. Like, why? Like, why do we do this? I mean, at one level, it might be a lot. It's just sort of like, yeah, well, that's what you do. You got kids, they make their first communion. Yeah. But let's go a little bit further with it. Like, what is it? What is it about here? What happens here? You know what I think here essentially is? It's like, the, it's like practice. It's when you're on that team. You don't practice, you don't win. We know that. And I think when we come here, we're renewed and reminded and reinforced. We're built up and we're given what we're needed to go out and kick open that bathroom door and rescue those that are blind and unfree and scared. That's why we're here. Because at the end of the day, there is one coach. There is one director. There is one manager that we need to connect ourselves to. So be the player. Be one of those players. Be one of those moving parts. Be on that team.